What's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Challenge. Okay, this is nice and scary. Okay, no. That's what we got. It's all good. So, uh, I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm excited that, excited that you're here. I'm excited to start a new series with you. Uh, are you guys excited when we kind of get something new, some new series, you know? New graphic on there. Nice and green, you know? Uh, yeah. Really exciting to be doing this, kicking off a new series, and I'm going to explain throughout the night kind of what we're going to get into with this new series. I hope it's encouraging and meaningful to you, and also if this is your first time here, if you're still feeling new to challenge, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here, and a huge part of what we're about, three, in fact, three things that we're passionate about in challenge are three things called salvation, transformation. And multiplication. Those things are near to my heart uh, I, I, because I think they're near to God's heart as he tells us in his word. And in salvation, we see that that's committing your life to Christ. That is the first step that we need to take in following Jesus is salvation. And we in, in challenge, we want to make sure that you have ample opportunity to connect with God on that level to tell him, like, I want to make you the Lord of my life. And through, through salvation. And so we move from salvation into transformation. That's where God wants to do greater works in your life, in your, in your heart, as you develop certain habits and build on certain key foundations for living the Christian life. And then the third thing is multiplication, making disciples of Christ. And that's by multiplying your life, reproducing your life into other people around you. And I'm a, we're all about that in Challenge. We want to make sure to equip you in all these three different ways. And so specifically, as we get into this series that we're about to jump into, we're talking about transformation very specifically. I don't know about you, but kind of get into this season in the fall, right? Uh, you know, the season starts to change and then jumps back into summer again, right? That's kind of what happened. I don't know what's going on. Last week I was Loving, loving life with the temperature, but now we're back in the 90s, I guess. But, uh, but this transformation period that happens at this time of year is, I don't know, just very exciting, very refreshing to me, especially after a long summer. And that's, that transformation is what God wants to do in each one of us who have committed our lives to Christ. He wants to take us where we are now and grow us in our faith onto the next stage as we apply practical disciplines to our lives. That's what this series is about, is spiritual disciplines. And so I want to get into, first of all, who are spiritual disciplines for? You might be wondering, like, is this even, like, for me? I'm not sure. And I want to let you know, no, this is something that you can take away. Maybe, maybe you're disillusioned. I think that spiritual disciplines are for disillusioned people who maybe you're just tired of, being distracted and entertained by just sort of like a wash of content and entertainment and just things that just are trying to get your attention. We're living in a time of, of life, of the world, where <laughs> there's so many things that are trying to get your attention. And sometimes it works, you know, we get really sucked into one thing or another that really grabs our attention. But I think by now we've kind of come to an understanding, like maybe this is bad for me. You know, maybe this is bad that I'm spending this much time on a social media platform or some so other sort of 
thing that's getting my attention. We tend to get disillusioned by these things that clearly aren't working for us due to their emptiness. And maybe you're sitting here, and that's not your problem, but you're just busy. Man, I'm so busy, right? That's what a lot of us think. And when you start talking about spiritual disciplines, maybe you're already kind of like tuned out because it's like, I think I'm too busy for this, you guys. I'm not sure if I can handle this. But I assure you that this is for you as well because we read uh, Martin Luther was uh, a hero in Christian, Christian history, and he had this to say at one point, I have so much to do today that I shall spend my first three hours in prayer. Like, what? That doesn't even make sense to me, you know? Like, that's the opposite, right? You know, you need to, like, not do as much of that in order to do those things. That's the way that Martin Luther was thinking, his perspective. And that's the way that we see people in the Bible, people throughout church history, actually, having that perspective that says, I'm so busy, I need God's hand in my life. And, you know, three hours is kind of an elite strat. You know, I'm not sure if that's for everybody. Like, for me, even, it's like, that's really hard. But you don't get there overnight. The point is, though, the busier you are, the more help you need from the transformational transformative presence of God through these disciplines. And so... This is for disillusioned, distracted people. This is for busy people. But for, this is for all people. This is for normal people. Anywhere in between, honestly, these disciplines are for you. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, says that the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. We have this tension within us where we want this thing, but we're not sure if we're willing to do what it takes to get there. Discipline requires a degree of self-denial that doesn't come easily. I don't know about you, that does not come easily to me. And there are, however, things that you are disciplined for in ways that you don't even really think about or realize uh, and maybe there are things that you're passionate about, the things that you do naturally, or maybe it's just things that you've been conditioned to see as worthwhile disciplines. A big th- obvious thing for us in this room right here is school. Okay, right? Like, you're in school. Do you love every minute of school? No, you don't. Prob- I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody. But there's probably, like, a class or an assignment like due tomorrow that if it was like deeply, deeply up to you, you'd rather not do it, right? But in the context of school, in the context of college, we do those assignments, we pass those classes that are unpleasant to us in order to secure a major, right? In order to learn a skill that is going to propel us toward a certain amount of success in the future. And so we're thinking ahead in terms of being in college, right? So that's one element. Another thing, a very mundane way that we discipline ourselves, this is the first thing that comes to my mind, is do you guys brush your teeth? Do you like brushing your teeth? Okay, we, who, 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 I'm just curious now. Who likes it? Who likes brushing your teeth? Okay. Wow. I don't, okay. 
I guess I don't speak for everybody because I don't get into that at all. Like on a personal level, I get nothing out of that and I'm just, just bored for whatever, two minutes, let's say. Uh, and if it was up to me, like in the moment, like every night, I'd be like, let's just not do that, right? Uh, <laughs> but you, hopefully, even if you're not, even if you're like me and you don't love brushing your teeth, like I've figured out by now, I'd rather have a tooth full life than a toothless life in the future. And so I'm going to do that, right? <laughs> or maybe you're just, it's all about the social pressure and you don't want anybody to think you're a freak. And so you do it. But it's probably because of just, I want this future for my life. And so I got to do what it takes to get there, even if that activity is slightly unpleasant to me. But there are other things too. Maybe you play a musical instrument, right? And you've had to put in the discipline. You've had to put in the hours and the practice in order to get good at that. And the same goes for athletics. You know, you're on a team, you're in a sport. You have to train your body in a way that most people don't to get where you're trying to go. And that idea of athletics, actually, we see that in the Bible, like all over the place, actually. In the New Testament, they're really into that stuff. And it's cool because it connects us, especially in the area of discipline, in the area of how, a life of following Christ, how we want to live. And it connects us to that because of this athletic example that they use. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, this isn't in your handout. It's actually in the front of your handout, fun fact. If you'd like to read along, it should be on the screen as well. But the Apostle Paul said this, Don't you know that all the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. But we, a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, I do not run like those who run aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. There's discipline. There's self-control in that that we see in the life of an athlete and we see in the life of a follower of Christ, as Paul talks about here. The, the title of this series is Train to Win. And when I think about that, I think about this verse, this passage that says, run in such a way to win the prize. What does that mean, metaphorically, to win spiritually? I think it means this. To win is to finish the race of life well and with no regrets. To win is to finish the race of life well and with no regrets. I want to get to my life and be able to say that. I want to get to the end of my life and for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we must train in order to win that outcome. And training comes in the form of spiritual disciplines. That's what this series is all about. So what is a spiritual discipline? I have a simple whatever, definition for you. Spiritual disciplines are biblically-based, time-tested practices of engaging with God meaningfully. Biblically-based, 
time-tested practices of engaging with God meaningfully. That's a broad definition. So let me give you some examples. You can think of Bible intake or prayer or evangelism or worship, fasting, serving, silence and solitude. This is just a short list of the different spiritual disciplines that we can engage in in this life. We can get to know God better through these. And so there's a, there's a long list of these. You see, athletes utilize various training methods to produce the results they need for game day. They don't just do one, they don't just exercise one muscle or do one workout. There's a whole set of things that you do, maybe throughout the week even, to make this happen, that, that, that lifestyle of being athletic. And in the same way, we can utilize various spiritual disciplines to produce a range of behaviors and character and attitudes that are going to make us successful as we run the race of life. So with the rest of our time, I want to paint a picture of the value of these disciplines. Before we go any further, we're going to talk about some of these disciplines in the next couple weeks. But it's so important for us as we consider spiritual disciplines to not make them a source of, of a burden or something that we're... We, become an, we make become an idol in our lives. We really need to make sure that we have a right perspective about these disciplines. And so I'm going to share with you two bad reasons to practice spiritual disciplines, followed by four good reasons. Okay? So I'm going to start with the, the bad, because we need to get our hearts right. We've got to adopt an accurate perspective on why we should do these things. Otherwise, the results can be devastating. Okay? So the first bad reason to practice these is to earn God's favor, to earn God's favor. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, what does that mean? We see in this, these verses a trajectory where at the beginning it says very clearly that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. It makes it very distinct. And what does that mean? It means that God was gracious enough to give us access to him, to give us a way to experience new life, abundant life with him. And we get to experience that. He gives that to us as a free gift of grace. It's by grace, through faith, which means that we need to have faith and put ourselves out there and to decide to believe and say yes I'm going to choose to follow this. I'm going to choose to put my faith in this. But there is nothing that I do outwardly to earn that. That is so critical. So we are saved by grace through faith. And then as a result of our salvation, we commit the works that God has prepared for us to do. And in certain moments of church history and in certain religions in the world today, and even some of which that have the name of Jesus put on, put on them, a lot of 
mistakes have been made here. These people teach a false gospel that deceives people into believing that they must earn salvation by their works. That's a lie, okay? That is deceit. That is not how it works. As we see clearly from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that we are saved by grace through faith. And then that God produces blessing in our lives, blessing through our lives. And we, and we work out these different things as a result of that salvation. And if you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not committed your life to him, I want to encourage you to do that. That is a first step that we need to take in order to experience these disciplines the way they are meant to be, to be done. And God sent his son Jesus to die for you in your place because ultimately you and I, we are, we're not just not perfect. We are sinful beyond recognition. And we are in desperate need of God's grace to come into our lives, to scoop us up from right where we were in order to give us new life in him, in order to give us abundant life. So he sent his son Jesus to live and to die and to be resurrected to new life. And in that, he took our punishment, he took your punishment, and enabled you to walk free in salvation. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And that is the only way. That is the only way. And our good works, our spiritual disciplines, do not earn us our way to heaven. Okay? So the second of these bad reasons is to impress or appease people. We're not trying to get God's favor with these disciplines. We're not trying to get people's favor with these disciplines. It is about our relationship with God, ultimately. And so, but in spiritual circles, it can be seen as impressive, right, to pray a great deal. Oh, man, I prayed so much today. Or to fast, right, for days at a time. And for centuries, right, ascetic practices have been celebrated as these, like, unique spiritual achievements. Like, how much can you deprive yourself of in order to, like, look as impressive as possible and as spiritual as possible before God and before people? But Jesus says this in Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. There is a reward at stake here, but it is not our salvation. You see, when we practice disciplines loudly and visibly, we make it clear where our priorities lie, right? And when we practice disciplines silently and without fanfare, we make it clear where our priorities lie. And then beyond impressing people, we must guard against merely appeasing people. Did any of you grow up learning to play like a classy instrument, like piano or violin, because your parents forced you to? Did this happen? Yeah? Okay. Did any of you just like develop a resentment toward that? Okay. We got a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it happens. That's how it works. You see, this is tricky. Okay? It is a great thing to follow what your leaders tell you to do, spiritual authority in your life. Okay, I'll be the first to tell you that you should do these disciplines that we're talking about. However, if your motive in 
fasting, if your motive in praying, if your motive in playing the violin is just because someone told you to, I encourage you, you got to ask, you got to explore the deeper meaning behind that discipline so that you don't become resentful toward that discipline. Because that's what happens when we're forced into it or when we're just trying to appease somebody, then that, that's not sustainable. That creates resentment toward the person, maybe. creates resentment toward the, the discipline itself. And I don't want that to happen to you. And in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Donald Whitney says, discipline without direction is drudgery. It's really easy to remember. I like that. And when, see, when we're aimless about it, you know, when we're just kind of doing what we're told and we don't have a direction in mind, then it's just drudgery. Oh, it's just like, I don't want to do this, you know? It's just like, that's, that's the resentment that we eventually develop regarding these different disciplines. And so we don't want that to be the case. I don't want that to be the case for you, for me, for these disciplines to be laced with any level of drudgery. And so I want to share four positive sources of direction as we commit to living a disciplined life. And so there, these are four good reasons that we should take to practice spiritual disciplines. And the first one is to be close to God. To be close to God, right? You see, God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means he's everywhere, all the time. And so we don't have a problem of literal proximity to God. Like, he's here. He's everywhere, right? So how do we get close to him? What does that mean? What we have is a problem of our heart's connection to God. This is what we're talking about, being close to God. Psalm 73, 28 says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. God is available to you through his word, through prayer, through worship, these different disciplines that draw us closer to him in fellowship, even though they seem like assignments, they seem like chores, but no, these are things that get us closer to God. Now, this closeness does not always include a felt sense of his presence. Understand that. But our desire, guys, and our persistence in seeking him will ultimately result in a connection, in a nearness that causes us to experience him throughout everyday life. In a book called Celebration of Discipline, the author says, God has given us the disciplines of the Christian life, the spiritual life, as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Placing ourselves before God, saying, God, I need you. I need you close to me. Because I so easily drift away from you. So we need to do these things in order to maintain, in order to set that closeness. Now in this quote, it tells us that God's presence through discipline has an effect. And that's the second of these things. It is to grow in godliness. We get close to God, and as a result of that, we get to grow in godliness. 
That is a part of transformation, the transformation process. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, this verse is talking about all these different things. We, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? We experience the self-denial that comes with, hey, I'm going to give up this one temporary thing in order to get this eternal thing, right? This is your true worship. And then do not be conformed to the people around you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation causes us to live differently. We are no longer living in conformity to the negative influence of the world around us, but instead we are set free to live a life that pleases God and blesses the people around us. God renews our mind through the spiritual disciplines, bringing us into fellowship with him so that he can change us from the inside out. In Romans 12, 2, that verse ends by saying, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We, we live obediently in the discernment that it talks about. It helps us in a realistic way through this third good reason. Third good reason is to train your soul for the challenges of everyday life. We have to train our soul for these challenges. What does that mean? Going back to the, the athlete metaphor, Dallas Willard writes this, the star performer, the athlete, himself didn't achieve his excellence by trying to behave in a certain way only during the game. Instead, he chose an overall life, right, of preparation of mind and body, pouring all his energies into that total preparation to provide a foundation in the body's automatic responses and strength for his conscious efforts during the game. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, this, the disciplines that you and I do in secret, the disciplines that you and I do when nobody is watching and at home, they come out in our lives. They come out in the way we live. There's, there's the, those are the automatic responses, the strength that Willard mentions here. And that's reflected in the key passage that I shared earlier. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. If you're going to compete, if you're going to live a life that's pleasing to God every day, then you need to exercise self-control, not just at those moments when you're around other people. We train in order to win by getting to the end of this life with no regrets. But we also train in order to win the everyday battle of managing our struggles with a peace and with a strength that comes from God alone. The fourth good reason to do these things is to set and maintain healthy habits. Set and maintain healthy habits. So, so far I've been talking about these different ways that God just overflows his goodness onto us in the form of his presence his transformative presence that then trains us and prepares us 
every day. But here's the truth, okay? Sometimes in the Christian life of practicing spiritual disciplines, we don't feel like it, right? We don't feel like it sometimes. It is at those moments that we need to trust the process and commit to doing those things anyway. Why? In order to promote that healthy habit in our lives, to set and maintain that habit. This might sound dangerous. This might sound fake, right? To just sort of fake it until you make it. But as we've looked at, there are plenty of beautiful reasons to live God's way. In a moment of uncertainty, in aversion to the right thing, does not change those things. And in Proverbs 13, 4, it says this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the Bible, has so much to say about discipline in our lives. And here's an example where in both physical and spiritual dimensions of life, there is reward for sticking with something in spite of momentary displeasure. Momentary disciplines lead to eternal gains. Momentary disciplines lead to eternal gains. And the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. That diligence does not come overnight. That diligence is cultivated over time and through consistency and through dependence on God, ultimately. We do not do these things in our own power. Let me close with two things. First, a a quote, one more quote from Dallas Willard. He says, Full participation in the life of God's kingdom and, and in the vivid companionship of Christ comes to us only through appropriate exercise in the, in the disciplines for life in the spirit. And so you and I can be Christians and be tossed to and thro- fro and live sort of a, an unintentional life and just sort of go with the flow and kind of do what makes sense in the moment and just sort of react to everything. Or we can fully participate in the life of God's kingdom and in the vivid companionship of Christ. And that comes through these exercises, these disciplines that we have to cultivate diligently. Finally, Philippians 3 says this, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, because I'm not, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That future reality, guys, motivates our present faithfulness. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your gift of salvation that you freely bestow on us, that you freely offer to us. 
I ask, Lord, that you would put things on our hearts to take away from this evening, to take away from your word, and to help us to reflect on these things as we prepare to launch into some of these disciplines that will bring us closer to you. God, be close to us. Be close to us as we, as we choose to commit ourselves to you through these different activities, these different practices. But Lord, ultimately you empower us to do these things. And so we depend on you for them. And I pray that you would spark life change as a result of these words, as a result of your word, your spirit, working in us, weaving us together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.